So let's open up our hearts. At the end of the service, we're going to have a gift for all the dads that are here. Uh, but open your hearts up and your minds to receive from God this morning. Amen. Come, uh, Pastor Walker, now. Amen. Well, super excited to be here. Um, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing we can have a baby dedication like that? God is good, and God is certainly doing something, uh, certainly doing something here at the River Church. Amen? Amen. I believe that. That's why I'm here. It's because I believe God is, God is here, and you are here. That's a good plus, too, right? Um, anyways, let's, this morning I wanted to, I was thinking about, well, you know, Father's Day, Father's Day. Well, I'm not a father, so kind of puts me at a disadvantage there, but I am a son of a father, so I know something there, right? Um, and I know that I'm not just a son of an earthly father, but of a heavenly father. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so today I'm not here to tell any of the dads how to do their job, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know the first thing about that. But I am here to talk a little bit today about our heavenly father, our heavenly father, uh, just a little bit. And I want to do it in the context of, of you know, Jesus... Uh, he, he preached a sermon once, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You might have heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, please, for the love of all things holy, open your Bible and go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's probably the greatest sermon ever preached. And Jesus in there kind of lays out the ethics, kind of lays out um, the, the beliefs. He kind of lays out the rules of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus came to usher in and preach and teach about the kingdom of God. He says things like, the kingdom of God is at hand. I've come to bring the kingdom of God. And you might be like, okay, what's this kingdom like? Well, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It'll tell you all about what Jesus' kingdom is like. And in there, in the midst, right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, the disciples, they say, we teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Any of you in here ever thought that? Like any, I mean, honestly, new Christians. I, I remember whenever I was a new Christian, I thought, well, how am I supposed to pray, you know? I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's a common thought. You know, how do I pray? Is there a right way to pray? Is there a wrong way to pray? Sometimes people in church think that, you know, I don't know, that, you know, we have some sort of special incantations or something like that, that, that Jesus gets up here and, you know, he, I'm just kidding. No, if you were at church like three weeks ago, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Bradley was referred to as Jesus live in service uh, because of how good he prays. No, but... Uh, I think there's this misconception that, you know, pastoral leadership or church leaders or, or experienced Christians can pray better. There, it's, praying isn't a competition. It's not a better or worse way. But I will say that Jesus uh, kind of gives us an outline of how we should pray. Uh, and when he says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray like this. And that's why every single Sunday, without fail, after the worship uh, time, uh, Bradley says, join me in praying together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're going to go through it. But obviously, that's what we pray every single Sunday. Why? Because Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Now, I don't believe that, or obviously, I don't believe that that's the only prayer that we should ever pray, right? Because people pray prayers all the time that aren't the Lord's Prayer, right? But what is Jesus saying when he says, when you pray, pray like this? It's to say that the Lord's Prayer should be a template for how we should pray. And to take that even further, how we pray is a reflection of our lives that we live. 
You tracking with me? How we pray, what the, what the amount of time that you spend in your prayer closet and the types of prayers that you pray will be a reflection in your daily life. So Jesus is saying, hey, you should pray like this because prayer forms us as humans, forms us as believers. When we pray, the process of prayer, the, the trust in the, in, that we place in God through prayer forms us, forms our soul, so we go out in daily living and we go out and, and that's a reflection of who we are. You tracking with me? And so prayer is super, super important when it comes to the Christian life. And this morning, we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer as a template for how we should pray, for how we should pray, and then therefore live our lives. Sound good? Can we do that? Okay, cool. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this time together. I pray that everything that is said and done would be glorifying to you. God, I pray that uh, Lord, uh, we'd have open hearts and open ears to what the Spirit is saying this morning. And God, I pray that you would anoint this, uh, the words from my mouth, or may they be your words, Lord. We pray that you would bless our time of worship, uh, the time of communion, uh, following, Lord, and everything that else that we do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, there was a little bit of technical difficulty, so we're not going to be able to have it on the screen, but we all know it by heart, right? The, the first line of the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Now I'm going to spend the majority of my sermon on the first line of the Lord's Prayer, okay? And then we're going to talk about the rest, but I, 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 want, to spend, I want to stay here for just a moment. If, if you, if, how many of you in here would consider yourselves, you know, you remotely like history at all? Just a raise of hands. Like, if you don't like history, that's fine, okay? Okay, a, a decent amount of people, right? You, you might like history. If you know anything about history, you know that religion is, is, is intertwined all throughout history. And there have been all kinds of religions uh, before uh, Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth. Many different belief systems, many different religions, many different false gods, many different uh, ideologies, right? And, and I, I used to be really into, whenever I was a kid, when I was a heathen, uh, I, I was really into Greek mythology. Loved it. Loved all the stories uh, of Zeus and, and people like that. But when you read those stories, whenever you read the stories of uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology, any other, these are things that you know, we take as mythology now, but people actually believed in these things and actually followed these systems and worshipped these gods, right? Well, each and every one of these gods had a position of selfishness. When you read any story, like if you read, it's a work of classical literature, the, the, the Iliad by Homer, right? Uh, they're all in there trying to get whatever they can get, right? They're very selfish and very uh, human, or they're very like, very selfish and very egocentric. That was the word I was trying to get. Very egocentric, okay? And we see that all throughout Greek mythology. You see that all throughout North, North mythology. You see that even in ancient Israel, right? So all the gods that, the, uh, that are around ancient Israel. Uh, Molech is, is, a, is a deity mentioned in the Old Testament. The point I'm trying to make with all this, I'm not trying to bore anybody to death by you know, making you sleep or whatever, sorry, is that up until the point of the God revealed in Jesus Christ, the word father could never be used to describe God. The word Father was never used to describe God. It was always supreme being, or, you know, um, you know I don't know what kind of terms they would use for him, but it, it, was, it was this kind of authoritative figure, like a dictator in, in the sky that was ready to strike you down, all these kinds of things, okay? But then Jesus comes along, 
And when his followers say, how should we pray? He says, pray like this. Our Father. Our Father. Father. The, the word there, and I know that, I know because I watched the sermon online, I know that Pastor Garlock educated you all on this a couple weeks ago, but, but it's good to have a refresher in your, in your mind. The word Father there in Aramaic is Abba. Abba, which is better translated as Daddy. Whenever baby Oakland, this is perfect, this is all lining up really good. Whenever baby Oakland, uh, whenever she grows up a few more, uh, you know, several months ahead and she's, she's walking along and whatnot, right? And, and she'll be holding her arms up, daddy, daddy, pick me up, help me out, right? That's the position that we find ourselves in. That's what it's translated as, is daddy, because we look as God as our father, as our father. Why? There's something intrinsically amazing about that because what does a father do? A father loves. A father cherishes. A father adores. A father does not see faults first, but a father sees potential first. A father sees what could be, not what is. And that's how our Heavenly Father looks at us. Our Heavenly Father looks at us and says, I see your potential. I don't see your mistakes. I don't see your sin. Your sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. I see you and I see your potential. See your potential. A.W. Tozer, great theologian, said this, what we believe about God may be the most important thing about us. And so I'm here this morning to tell you that you need to rethink how you think about God. Because if it's not Father, then it's not what Jesus preached. Our first thought when we think of God is Father. That's how we should think of God. That's how we should think of God's nature towards us, God's position towards us, God's attitude towards us is that of a father. Yes, does a father get angry? Yes, I'm sure Bradley's not and he can attest, right? You know, uh, he's got many stories probably, right? There's many times as a father you get angry, you get upset, but it's, but it's, it's, it's out of love, right? 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. And so what we see is this fatherly nature of God of being love, that everything that God is and God does flows out of love. And so whenever we, we I was almost this morning going to preach on Matthew 7, where Jesus says that the wise man builds his house on the rock, but the foolish man builds his house on the sand. Whoever is wise among you will build their lives on my teaching. That, that, that passage, I was going to preach on that. And the reason I'm bringing that up this morning it's because God our Father gives us commands. We know he gives us commands. But even his commands, even the things that, G, that God tells us not to do and the things that God tells us to do, they're not arbitrary. How many of you hated when you were a kid when your parents said, because I told you so? <laughs> Everybody hate that? Even as an adult, you know, you're like, I hate that. I hate when people say, because I told you so. Now do it. You know? Oh, man, I can't stand that. It's so, it's so stupid, right? But when God tells us not to do something or to do something, it's not like he's sitting up in heaven saying, because I told you so. You know? No, there are reasons behind it. There are really good reasons behind it because God has our best interests at heart because he's our father and he loves us. And Jesus, even 2,000 years ago, wanted to establish this right off the bat, that when we pray, pray like this, our father, 
our Father. And I know that it can be tough sometimes to trust in God. It can even be tough for some people to say our Father. We've said this twice already in this uh, time of worship together, but I will say it again. It can be tough to say Father because of past experiences. But how many of you in here know that our Heavenly Father is perfect, that He never leaves us and forsakes us, that He's always there, that He's always got our best interests at heart, that He's always a good, trustworthy one to turn to in our times of trouble. We don't have, we're not looking at one that will turn away or deceive us or abuse us or neglect us, but we are talking to one who is trustworthy and who is love and who is goodness. Jesus wants us to come and say, Dad, Dad, hear our prayer. Dad, hear us this morning. Hear us. Our Father who art in heaven. And he says, how would be your name? That's what the King James says. That's the only way I can say it. You know, I can't, I can't read any other version. It has to be, how would be your name? But how would is simply an old English word that means holy. Holy, holy is your name. And many of you uh, in here have heard the word holy. Holy. I wore these jeans this morning. They're my holy jeans. I'm just kidding. No. Holy. And I think we have a misconception about what holiness is. You see, holiness uh, is commonly uh, perceived as you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't run with those that do. Right? That's what holiness is. Holiness is more about holiness is more about what you don't do than what you do. Right? It's more about what you abstain from than what you uh, participate in. But as Pastor Bradley has beautifully preached before, and I want to bring to light here in the sermon today, God's holiness is something that is other because of his love. God is holy because of the lengths that he goes to in his love. I had already mentioned all these different deities. The reason that the term holy is used so much in the Old Testament is because you've got to think, okay, so like in America... Typically in America, right, especially in the Midwest, you know, the people's belief systems are either you believe in God, and typically that's the Christian God, um, or you don't really believe in God at all, right? That, those are kind of like two options. Now, there are people who are Muslim, and, and, you know, there's different, you know, things like that, right? But typically it's like you believe in Jesus, or, or you just don't believe at all, right? So it's a very, like, one or the other. But you, but, so, we, so take yourself out of that thought process for a moment, and then plant yourself in ancient Israel, where there's like... Thousands of deities, okay? There's, everybody believes in, in different gods. And, and there's many different travelers coming through that they believe in their god. And, and, and there's many different religions. There's an intermingling of these things. And so the term holy in the Old Testament, whenever God says, I am holy, what it means is that all of these other gods stand no chance. Bradley mentioned this morning, the most high God. That he is holy, he is set apart, he is different. Well, how is he holy and set apart and different? In a world where Molech required child sacrifice, God says that children are a treasure from the Lord. Right? In other religions where they say to stone the strangers, the Bible says to welcome the stranger. Right? From the very beginning, God has set himself apart as this deity that is holy, that is different. But how is he holy and how is he different? It is shown most aptly through the life of Christ, where Jesus doesn't run away from sinners. Jesus doesn't see Isaac in his sin and, and you know, flip him off and turn the other way. No. 
He goes, he sits down, and he eats with him. He hangs out with him. He hangs out with the sinners. He hangs out with the tax collectors. He hangs out with those that have sin in their life. For so long, this, uh, this idea that I do not believe has, has run in the church is that God is, is, is turned off by sin. Now, yes, God judges sin, and God calls sin, sin. But God is not repulsed by sin, but God is attracted to sin so that he might go into the sin and redeem it, that he might forgive it, that he might restore it. That is what God is in the business of doing. And so God's holiness, God's holiness is his attraction to sin, that he goes right into it, that he goes right into your life. And I've met too many people that say things to me like, as they know I'm in, in, in church, and they say, if I walked in the door of a church, the place would burn down, Right? Or they say they never want me back. They'd say all these kinds of things. We serve such a welcoming God. A God who perpetually, his position towards sinners is that of the open arms on the cross. That I'm welcoming you in. And that's how we should be. I told you that our lives of prayer should be a reflection in our lives. When we claim that God is holy, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We claim that God is holy then that holiness should reflect in our lives. What kind of holiness is required in our lives then? Is welcoming, love, forgiveness, kindness, all the fruits of the Spirit that we've talked about for the past couple weeks. That's what we live out in our daily lives, is that kind of life. That is what true holiness is. Another note on holiness. Holy is your name. How would be your name? what it does is it immediately establishes a positioning, right? Especially here in America, we have a tendency to get really big heads, right? We think, we are the world. The world revolves around me, me, myself, and I. Um, what's it? Uh, I always think, it's, oh, it's my money and I want it now, J.G. Wentworth, right? It's all about me. Give me what I want right now, right? But when we come to God in prayer and say, God, you're holy. You're the one that's holy. It immediately establishes proper positioning. That I'm not the one that's in charge here, God, but you are. You're the Holy One. Holy is your name, God. Not my name, but holy is your name. And then Jesus immediately extrapolates upon that in the next line. Your kingdom come. Your will be God. God, you are holy. God, there is none like you. You are the most high God. So your kingdom come and your will be done. Not my will be done. Not the Democrats' will. Not the Republicans' will. Not, not, the, not the whoever's will, but... Your will be done. Your kingdom come. You come and establish it, God. It's your will, your kingdom come here on earth. Amen. On earth. Once again, it's, it's an attitude of positioning. And he says, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. But, but something I really like to practice in my prayer time, and I really hope this helps you, and it, I can't take credit for it. I was taught by somebody else. But it's simply to insert multiple different situations in there instead of earth. So you would say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my church as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my school as it is in heaven. In my family as it is in heaven. In my marriage as it is in heaven. In 
my friendships as it is in heaven, in my co-workers as it is in heaven, right? What we're doing then is it's really easy to say on earth as it is in heaven because that's very like very much just like out there. And we think of the big world. The world's really big, right? We can't control everything out there. And so what it does is it, it keeps us from taking any action. But when you make it personal and you say in Walmart as it is in heaven, then the next time you're at Walmart, seriously, next time you're at Walmart, and you feel like grumbling and complaining, you'll remember what the Apostle Paul says about let there be no grumbling and complaining among you. You'll say, okay, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, proper positioning. God, it's your will, your will. God, we're praying for your will to come on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven. We have this tendency to make prayer all about us. We have a tendency to only pray to God when we want something. Like God is a, a genie, like Aladdin, you know. Uh, get the genie and you get your three wishes, right? Or um, a butler, right? You call, or your waitress or waiter, you know, at the restaurant. Hey, hey, please, can you give me, uh, you know, this, right? That's or a vending machine, right? You know, we, God, give me whatever you want, right? I can go on and on. We're very transactional people, right? I, I give Isaac $5, he gives me a shirt or something like that, you know, right? We think that, that we come to God and he gives us stuff. He gives us stuff. He gives us stuff. But that's, that's not how it quite works. And Jesus knows this. It's, it's amazing. Isn't, isn't it amazing how, how smart Jesus is? Even 2,000 years ago, he knew that the human tendency is to take, take, take. So immediately what's happening in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, like I said, I want, I want you to get this, is it's the, this positioning of, Father God, you are holy. Your kingdom come. It's not about me. It's about you, God. I want your will to come. I want your, your kingdom to come on earth. Then we ask for things that we want. The next line, give us this day our daily bread, right? Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, take care of what we need. Take care of what we need. But that, I believe also what Jesus is saying here is not just physical, but also spiritual. Not just physical, but also spiritual. I want to talk about the physical one first. I always thought this was really amazing. I have an uncle that's a, um, they, they're missionaries. And, um, you know, he was talking about the Lord's Prayer once and, and how it's really amazing that even right now as we are praying the Lord's Prayer and talking through the Lord's Prayer, uh, there are children in Haiti, in Africa, in India, praying the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And they really mean it. Like, they really mean it. I think all too often, guys, we forget how lucky we are here in America. That even the most poor among us have a place they can go and get a hot meal immediately. You know? Let us never forget that. Let us never forget that. And let us pray. I love also how, if you notice, all throughout the Lord's Prayer, all the, all the pronouns are plural. They're not singular. It's not give me my daily bread. It's give us our daily bread. So as we're praying, it's not just... When, you, when, you, when you're praying us, it's not just you and your family, but it's everyone around the globe. It's all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are praying that they would have full stomachs, that they would have their needs met. And then what does that do? Man, this is the hardest part. It drives us to action. It drives us to action. It drives us, uh, it drives us to, 
take more times to feed at the food kitchen, or it takes us, it drives us to do more for that person on the side of the road. It drives us uh, if we can't, you know, if we find ourselves in positions where we can't do those things, it drives us to give a little bit more financially to to, to uh, good organizations that we know are doing good work over in those places, right? Because we want to see those things come to fruition, and that's what I said at the very beginning of the sermon: that our lives and prayer are a reflection out in the daily world. Whenever we pray, give us this day our daily bread. With our brothers and sisters in mind, it drives us to action. It drives us to action to go and feed those people too. But then it's also spiritual, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? And so we know that this life, material things, food, although, although we love, you know, uh, that Texas Roadhouse, those rolls, man, amen somebody, right? Uh, we love those rolls, right? Uh, this bread, uh, food, material things is not all there is. We know that there's a kind of strength and power that comes from God. There's a kind of strength and power that comes. That's why I think, uh, and this isn't talked about very much in church, I don't know why, but the, the, well, actually, I do know why, because we're in America, but the concept of fasting, you know, um, is something that is really a very strong spiritual practice, because what it is, is it's depleting yourself of earthly strength to tap into heavenly strength, to tap into the strength of God. I'm kind of getting off here, but the point is, is that when we pray this prayer, we're saying, give us our daily bread, spiritually, spiritually. Next, forgive us our, uh, some versions say debts, or forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is really interesting because Jesus says some harsh things. If you read in the Gospels, he says some things. Uh, I still have trouble uh, reading it and making sense of it. So I'm being humble with you this morning. I don't know everything. But, but Jesus says that if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. He, he, if you do not forgive others, he will not forgive you. That's tough. That's really tough, tough pill to swallow. But what if forgiveness is not just a word that we speak from our mouth out of, you know, some vain plea, like, oh God, please forgive me, you know. But what if it's something internal that God really does on the inside of us? And that when we truly receive the forgiveness of God, how many of you, you in here have cried out to God in your sin and truly felt that forgiveness? That was a rhetorical question. No, I don't want to raise your hands. But the point I'm making is that when you truly feel that forgiveness that God had towards you and you live in that space, you live in that place where you realize that you are forgiven, you're quick to forgive others. Because you realize that you're not perfect, that you've made mistakes, that you've done things wrong. And I really think that's what Jesus is getting at here. And so when we're praying this prayer, we're saying, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, as I forgive others, as I forgive others, as I go around. About to move on from this, but really quickly, forgiveness is, forgiveness should be the bread and butter of Christians. Forgiveness, forgiveness kind of goes hand in hand with repentance. Uh, Tim Keller said that Christians should be the most repentant people the world knows. Uh, but how many of you know Christians that are, are very quick uh, to defend, defend themselves and never say sorry? We should be very quick to say sorry and to listen to others. And as we do, as we say we're sorry and we listen to others, we will find a lot of 
healing in that. We'll find a lot of peace in that in our relationships as we forgive others. And in turn, God forgives us. Jesus kind of closes it out here with a kind of a three-liner I really, really love. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us out of temptation. No matter what, you know, so, you know, every person is different. So every person has different sin that they struggle with. Some people have sin in their life. They don't even know it's sin in their life, right? And that's why we pray the Holy Spirit would reveal that to us, right? But other people have sin in their life. They know they have that sin in their life, right? And this, this part of the prayer is really powerful. It's really powerful because... I was writing a little lesson earlier this week for some, for some middle schoolers, and I was talking about foundations. I was using that verse out of Matthew 7. That's why I was going to preach it here because it's fresh in my mind. And, and the world has a foundation that they try to get you to build your life upon, right? There's, there's many things the world will try to get you to build your life upon. Uh, and the pull is very strong. Uh, the, the pull is very strong to build your life upon uh, you know, money, sex, drugs, power, rock and roll. No, I'm just kidding. No, but um, I just want to see if you all are awake. But um, all of those things are things that we are tempted to build our life upon. And it's not, here's the, here's the tricky part about it. And this is how the devil always does it, right? This is how, this is how the evil one always does this. It, it's not like the, there's somebody out there with a giant billboard out there that's like, hey, come get, um, you know, super drunk tonight and commit a felony. You know, nobody, said, nobody has a sign out there that says that, you know. Nobody has, nobody has a sign out front that's, that, you know, that says all these things. But what happens is, you know, or nobody says, nobody has a sign out there that says, you know, ch- chase money at all costs, you know. Because everybody would be like, oh, No. Because we kind of intrinsically know, right, right the, the, the Bible says the law has been written on our hearts. We, we kind of know, we know that these things are wrong. But what happens is it's this, it's this, uh, gosh, you know, I'm a nerd, sorry, Star Wars. You know, they get, tra- they get caught into the gravitational pull of the Death Star and they can't get out. There's no, they're, they're getting caught in. Sometimes in the culture, you know, there's like this, the culture's like the Death Star. And there's like this pull. There's this pull of like, hey, come join us. Hey, it's fun to sin. Hey, it's fun to do these things. Come over here, you know? It's very sly. It's very silent. And one thing happens one after another. And then before you know it, you slip up into that sin. And then into that sin. And then you stop coming to church because you feel guilty. Then you stop talking to people. And then before you know it, you look around and you say, how did I get here? How did I get here? Right? It's not this big brash pull, and that's, 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 this, Satan has never done it. How did he get to Adam and Eve? A whisper. A whisper. Hey, hey, did, did God really say that? Hey, It's always a whisper. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. And so this part of the Lord's Prayer is very powerful. Every day we must stay on guard against the things that want to keep us from living in the kingdom of God. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. I think that we think of, I've been talking in very grand terms of very, you know, really big vices and whatnot. But I think, I think we often think of evil as atrocities such as, you know, murder or, um, you know, getting involved with like the drug cartel or something like that. I don't know. But, right, that's what we kind of think of evil as. But evil can be something as simple as holding a grudge against your coworker, or, um, or, you know, having some sort of 
lust in your life, whether that's a lust for money or, or lust for other people or lust for a materialis- materialism, material items, right? It could be something as small as grumbling and complaining, right? We talked about that earlier. The Apostle Paul says, let there be no grumbling and complaining among you. Little things like that are still form of, a form of evil. It's sin. It's sin. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. How does God have the authority to deliver us from evil? Because His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He has all power. He has all authority. He has all glory. We can trust in Him. We can trust in Him this morning. So I want to circle back around. He's our Father. Everything I've touched on this morning comes from the fact that He's our Father. He's our Dad. Dad, I trust in You. I trust in You. Oftentimes, the fact that we disobey comes from the fact that we don't really trust in God's ways. We don't really trust that it's the best way for us. We don't really trust that it's the best way for us. And I'm convinced, I know many of you are here too, but I'm convinced that God's way is the best way. Amen? I'm convinced that the way that God has lined out for us to live, specifically in the life of Christ, that is the way we ought to live. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. That there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that anybody can come to me and say. There's nothing they can come to me and persuade me by to make me believe that there's any other way to live. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except for through me. So I believe and I'm convinced and I'm hoping right now, I'm persuading any of you in here that this is the way we should live. Is the way of living after Jesus. Following after Jesus. And that comes in our life of prayer in our life of prayer. We can trust God. We can trust God with our lives, with our whole being. That's what the Lord's Prayer is really all about. It starts with trust, and it ends with trust. Our Father starts, I trust you, God. I trust you. And it ends with trust. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's all about trusting in Him. Will you trust in Him today? Will you trust in Him today? I know on a day like today, and this is the fourth time we said it, and I promise this will be the last, but we oftentimes can project our experience with our earthly father onto our heavenly father. We can project our experience, not just with our fathers. I'll stop, I'll stop you know, hammering on the fathers. Our experience with our life, we can project onto God. Our experience with our mother, or with our grandfather, or our grandmother. All of our experiences in life, we have the tendency to project it onto God and to say, this is what God is like. But I know one thing. I don't know nothing. I don't know a lot, but I know one thing. That God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. And that the life that Jesus lived showed us who God is. And after reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which I implore you to do, I'm convinced that we can trust in Him. We can trust in Him today. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank You so much for this day. Thank You so much for this time together. Thank You so much for this 